vampires. <laughs> Jessica. And Mickey. What up? Um, so I've been watching a lot of stuff. I'm actually not watching a lot of stuff. I've been singularly watching The Walking Dead. Uh I haven't watched it. Have you ever seen The Walking Dead? Were you part of that group that watched it when it was on? I watched the first few episodes when they first came out, but it just, it didn't, I have my feelings about it. (laughs) Okay, well, having not seen any of the season, it's like an 11 season show, but, um, Mm -hmm. so I am now in season eight, finally. I, like, powered through it, and when it was on, I think I watched the first three seasons, and then I was like, I don't like this. And it's gone through a few transitions, which is interesting. Um, But you do get attached to the characters. So now I see why people reacted so strongly during the Sneakin storyline, which I'm in now. Um, I actually really like it. I mean, there's some points that I was like, I have to take a break from this for a little while. Or I didn't like what was going on. I was like, the storyline's absurd. And then it kind of like circles back. But I do see a lot of parallels with other, you know, zombie-like shows, especially The Last of Us. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's solid, it's entertaining. You get really attached to these characters. I didn't realize, um, like some people were in the show that are now or like, you know, in Black Panther and et cetera, um, the character Michonne, she's amazing. Um, and so now I have my favorites and stuff, but I see how much better it probably would have been week to week. And then also when everyone else was watching it and when it was in, it's like, hi, cause you'd like to chat about like theories and who's gonna die and when the characters do die it's devastating so i don't know very interesting um i don't hate it i honestly i think powering through the first few seasons uh and just trying to get over them was better uh because now it's kind of like fleshed out a little bit like the storyline um so yeah and i also now have dreams about zombies and i'm fully believe that i could survive an apocalyptic event but i have no skills <laughs> i i just i think my problem with it uh what was my it wasn't really a problem it's just my lack of interest was that like i just feel like what can be i'm like zombied out one two what what can be said in the walking dead or what can be said in any zombie thing that comes out now for the most part there's exceptions to every rule that hasn't already been said or done well by George Romero in those first three movies. Like, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm saying like George Romero couldn't even in his late, last few years when he did those like found footage zombie movies, he mm-hmm. couldn't even do, he couldn't even add something more to what he had already done. You know what I mean? So it's just like, I feel like there's, like I said, there's always exceptions to the rule. There's always like variations that are really, that are great. Like train to Busan and like, yeah. you know, and like, I, I really liked, um, it's not really, um, it's kind of hard to explain because it is a zombie movie. It's not a zombie. Well, one cut of the uh, one cut of the dead, the Japanese film, which I thought was like, which made me smile watching. Like I was just like so over the moon about it. Um, those are exceptions, but like for the most part, when somebody's like, "We got the zombie story," I'm like, "Ugh," because it's oh, you know, it's 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 not that even when they're well done, they're still just not adding anything to. Th- what's you know that hasn't been added before. Yeah, I but like- sometimes it's like what needs to add to a story that's already good. I mean. I think I talked about that in Boogeyman a little bit because it's like it's not changing anything, but it wasn't mm-hmm. still enjoyable and scary. Like, yeah, it's a ghost story. Like most of horror, especially like uh, early folk horror, like ghost stories are just like stories passed through time. I agree with that. I agree. Walking Dead is how many seasons? <laughs> I love that's it. all I'm saying. Exactly. So that's all I'm saying is that like to make that commitment, it's like I want to see something. It's a lot. That- yeah. 
It's um, a lot of commitment. <laughs> rem- remind me about Boogeyman when you're done, because I didn't see it, but I had some something adjacent to it. So uh, remind me that when you're done t- talking about what you've seen. Okay. Uh, and then I did watch The Flash. Uh, it was so stupid, which is weird because I still liked it. That whole beginning sequence of the babies, I'm sorry if I'm ruining it, but it's stupid as hell. Um, I've seen it in TikToks like a bunch of times, so I feel like everyone's seen it. But like, it was stupid as fuck. And I was like, this is setting the tone for the entire movie. And like, it's ridiculous. And it could have been better, but I see what they're trying to do with Barry's character because he's a kid. And the sad part is, is like, I really like Ezra Miller and I wanted him to come out of it, but like, it just wasn't it. Even Michael Keaton and George Clooney couldn't save that. Oh, wow. You didn't want to spoil... You were worried about spoiling the baby. <laughs> but, like, the biggest spoiler that I didn't even get spoiled for me, so I went in fresh with it. Um, but, like, you know, my thing with The Flash was that it was harmless. It's a harmless movie. Yes, it is but harmless. Also, if it had come out before Spider-Man No Way Home, that might have been a different story. But Spider-Man No Way Home did everything that Flash was trying to do way better and it did it before it which is funny because the dc universe in comic books kind of was the first to establish the idea of like the multiverse and like different flashes different yeah so it's funny to me that like marvel kind of got beat them to the punch and just blew them out of the water you know i do like their take on the multiverse and how and you know there's other uh sci-fi especially time travel Uh, shows that do this but like you become the villain like different versions of you because you're traveling through time and I really liked that in the flash like that whole arc is cool um it's also very interesting how like much you fuck with the world and each time he's trying to return to it it's just a little more fucked up or a little less fucked up but still not where he belongs so interesting take but I honestly think Marvel did it first and they did it better Still, it's kind of fun to see some of these DC movies. Also, did you watch, speaking of DC, did you see the trailer for Rebel Moon, the new Zack Snyder? No. Well, I watched it, and anyone who's a comic book reader, it reminds me so much of Saga, which is a Brian K. Vaughn um, comic oh, yeah. book. You know, he did Why the Last Man and and Saga and m- many others. But uh, the whole time I was watching the trailer, I was like, this is just Saga. Like, a lot of these characters look like Saga. They're saying the same things. It's in space. I was like, but I really like the cast. I, I'm really kind of rooting for Zack Snyder because I am a Watchmen fan, which we've yeah. talked about a hundred times. Yeah. But so and I, still, <laughs> I still maintain it's good. It's a good adaption. Anyway. Um, and so I did watch The Flash. And then also, uh, which we'll talk about a little later, but William Freakin died unfortunately, which this one made me really sad. I like was really sad because of how much I love cruising. Obviously he did. (laughs) (laughs) He did the exorcist, but uh, he also did cruising, which is one of my favorite fucking films, Al Pacino. It's like now a gay cult film. The new Beverly showed uh, cruising with knife heart, which is like just the best double feature I could think of. Uh, What a dream. And so it's definitely one of my favorite films, but there's a few that I hadn't seen or haven't seen in a while. And so To Live and Die in L.A., I watched when I was a kid and I oh, haven't watched it since. And I so love someone, that movie. Sh- shout out to my friend Jace, who sent me a streaming link, um, which uh, Sad Drawings by Jace is his egg. But he sent me a streaming link and so I got to watch it because it's not available anywhere. And 
you know, uh, first, first William Peterson hangs Dong in it. I don't know if you guys saw that. <laughs> Guy's kind of a badass in that movie. Yeah, dude, right? he's like base jumping. He's like calling everyone amigo. Like, here's the thing: is that even if the rest of the movie sucked, which it doesn't, the fact that he says he's talking about his his partner who gets killed. He's like, he was the most righteous guy I've ever known. That alone is like, yep, this movie's <laughs> awesome. Like William Peterson uttering that dialogue, like my. You know, Steve Sears, we've had on the podcast three times. Him and I would say that all the time to each other because we just we were obsessed with that movie. But go ahead, dude. Well, it's great. I mean, even the first hour, you're kind of like, uh, okay, like what what are they setting up here? And then the last half an hour is like full octane. It's like really fucking good. And like yeah. the car chase scene, like man, it's fucking great. It's like yeah. really great. Even if like the movie was an hour long and it still just had that whole half an hour like last bit. I it's still the greatest movie. Um, yeah. It made me sad, I guess, or in some parts that he didn't do more action films like that. But you know, who knows? Yeah. I, I also enjoy that he was like a true badass. Yeah. He really was. He just kind of like like in the um, I can't remember who released it, but they did a vinyl pressing of the cruising soundtrack, and in Axe it. Work. Yes, thank you. And it's beautiful. It's amazing. And like in it, um, freaking gives like a, a mini interview where he talks about cruising and like you can all his interviews. My friend actually sent me a book of like some of his interviews, but he's always just like, fuck you. I like fuck oh, you. Oh, and yeah. just like do whatever. Like I have no rules. There's no rules for me, you know. And so I feel like we lost like a true badass filmmaker. Like Yeah. Like um like I was saying, like Steve Sears and I we were we, I mean, we were kind of obsessed with freaking just in general, not just to live and die in L.A. So one night we went to a screening at the Arrow of The Exorcist and Sorcerer. Now, if you if Sorcerer, if you haven't seen Sorcerer, I, I can't recommend that movie enough to people. I think Sorcerer is probably his either his his absolute best movie or his second best movie. It's tough, but like Sorcerer is amazing. But we went to see him. Uh, we went to see the double feature and he did a uh, Q and a before in between the movies. And apparently all of his Q and A's were like very similar. So my seeing William freaking was very similar to him. Like somebody else seeing him later on because he did the same shtick where he'd be like, cause he was talking about doing Sorcerer and how it was in, it was, it was, um, based off the same source material as Wages of Fear, the French film. And But I remember one point he was, like, talking to the audience. He's like, who here hasn't seen Diabolique? And then, like, a few, like, timid hands raise up, and he goes, get the fuck out of here. You know, he's just like, <laughs> and, he, and apparently he did that all the time. Like, he was just such a raconteur that, like, it was, it was, he was kind of an asshole, but I, I, I loved watching him talk. He got a little hyperbolic later on in his later years. Like, when, yeah. he, was, when, he, when he declared... A Quiet Place 2, the scariest movie ever made. And I'm like, are you out of your fucking mind, William Freakin? <laughs> you know? Um, but, like, I have this great DVD. Uh, I have this great special feature on a DVD. That, and my buddy, uh, another person who's on the podcast, our friend Diego, he was actually at this when it happened at CineFamily. Um, but there was an interview where there was a William Freakin did a Q&A with Toby Hooper. Um, Whoa. Uh, they were they were screening Texas Chainsaw, and he was he was like, you know, talking to Toby Hooper about like the making of it because Freakin was a huge fan of that movie, and not only that, but he also tried to like he tried to get Toby Hooper broken in Hollywood before Toby Hooper actually really got a, a 
a, a real break in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, he was like, he was, he wanted to produce a few projects. So they, they collaborated, they became friends. So it was a really cool, like special feature. It's on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Blu-ray. And now there's a 4k of it. They have the same feature and it is wonderful to listen because Toby Hooper's not as gregarious as he's not as loud. He's very kind of like, not, I wouldn't say soft spoken, but he's like, got, you know, He's a little bit more, he's not as boisterous is the word I'm looking for as William Freakin is. So watching them go back and forth is just wonderful. But, you know, yeah, it was, he's, you know, well, we'll talk about William Freakin. Yeah, I know. It's just so sad. Um, And so something else I watched and it came up on Criterion actually was Dark Star uh, from John Carpenter. Yeah. And so it's actually pretty funny because I've never seen it before. And I was like, oh, well, I am I got time, you know, I'm not doing anything, and it's on here. And I didn't realize what it was, which is just like a 2001 spoof comedy-ish kind of uh, film. Yeah. And I remember, like, seeing interviews with him being like, I wanted to make comedies. I wasn't, like, interested in horror and stuff like that. And I was like, that's so weird. And then seeing this, I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, it was funny, but it was, like, so kind of strange and dark um sure. it's also his usc student film that's what is blows it me away. is it okay I mean, that makes a lot of sense <laughs> it was his student film and also like the other thing to, to point out is that like he wrote it with dan o'bannon who yes acted in it but it was their it was the student it was john carpenter's student film and then a producer was like hey i will give you i will release this theatrically if you add 20 or 30 more minutes right so then they shot more stuff but it was his fucking thesis film, and Dan O'Bannon, which who doesn't get enough credit for a lot of the stuff that he's ever done, aside oh, from writing Alien, he designed yeah. that fucking set. In fact, Alien, you know, part of like his inspiration for making Alien was, oh, there's a sequence in Dark Star. I want to do that seriously. Yeah, you know, and like, but you know, Dan O'Bannon does. I mean, that set looks amazing, especially when you remind yourself it's a fucking student film. You know. Um, Granted, it's a USC student film, like, you know, it's the cream of the crop, but like, still, goddamn, you know. So I, that's I, I so, really, that's interesting, yeah. um, because then that that makes perfect sense because I was like, this is very low budget. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then it was like a series, so uh, you know, Criterion does these small, um, these small groups of movies uh, curations and so there was another one after it that I thought it was an animation that was released last year I think it was called Life After Bob um, which I was I was very high watching it but also that movie I was like am I high it's about an hour long and it's somewhat incomprehensible but it's a uh, animation that sometimes like goes into different um, types of animation like it pieces of it look very like choppy 90s um which was kind of cool because you know i i love 90s technology movies um but it was also very scary at points it's about you know uh they learned to how to implant a chip inside brains um which will kind of influence you to make good decisions and they're they did a study about like implanting it in children and like what that would mean and trying to like make children more individualistic, but obviously it's doing the opposite because you implanted a chip so they could like watch themselves essentially while their parents like go to work. But now that brain, that chip becomes part of them or who are they? Like, are they the chip or are they kid? You know, it's fucked up. 
uh, and very scary to think about. But very cool animation at times. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Um, beautiful and scary. So worth watching. But also they had in that series Johnny Mnemonic, and which I love. And uh, Johnny Mnemonic in black and white, which... Yeah. I haven't seen yet, and I'm definitely going to check it out. I bet it's sick as fuck. Um, there was a like a group. It wasn't Cine Family, but it was like an offshoot, and they were doing things in downtown LA at the uh, at the downtown arts theater. And they showed Johnny Johnny Mnemonic on the big screen. It was awesome, and it was just like me and Matt, <laughs> and we were like the only people there. You know, the funny story about behind that one, though, is that, like, so the, it's based on a short story by William Gibson, which is amazing. William Gibson wrote a book called Neuromancer, which kind of started the whole cyberpunk phase, uh, yep. genre. And, like, he wrote this short story called Giant Mnemonic. It's in a book called Burning Chrome. It's a really great short story. I, I, I love that story. But him and the director, the director was a was an, was an artist, was like a visual artist. Um, it was his only film. But him and William Gibson wanted to make basically like a kind of a low-budget, like, indie sci-fi film like very gritty not as whatever and then like it was one of those things where like they couldn't get the money to make that movie to make a, a low budget film but then once keanu reeves got attached the studio was like well now you got to add well we're gonna we're gonna bump up the budget we'll give you x amount of millions of dollars but we you're gonna need to have this you're gonna have this you're gonna have this because like the Dolph Lundgren character doesn't show yeah. up in the, book, in the story. And like, I still enjoy the movie as the mess that it is because it is a messy movie but knowing that they wanted to make something a little bit more um, like I said, grittier, a little bit more low tech would have been really fucking cool. Um, so I just think it's like I, I always love watching Giant Mnemonic as like a a weird experiment of like you know like the dolphin in in the yeah in the book. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think they had this in the movie because it's been a while. And by a while, I mean like a year ago. But in the book, it's a heroin addict. They they they, they give it heroin to so it'll do stuff. Oh, know? weird. And, yeah, weird <laughs> shit like that. You know, like that. That's actually pretty funny. Um, yeah, I feel like it's that's like, actually like more poignant in American. <laughs> there you go. So culture. Uh, it's, it's an interesting little you know, disaster. Like I said, the movie. I mean, I I enjoy it, but knowing what it could have been, you know, it's a. Uh, it is what it is, but I, I, I do want to watch the black and white version, like, really bad. Yeah, so. it looks sick, uh, yeah. and it's on Criterion right now. And then I watched the first episode of Painkiller, which um, is another series on Netflix about the Sackler family, you know, and how they introduce Oxys into American, um, you know, poor suburbs. Uh it's okay. I think I have a hard time watching these things now. I mean, the one on Hulu was with Michael Keaton was kind of hard as well because it's what actually happened and you feel moral outrage and you're like, what can we do about this? And then also, you know, uh, fentanyl has flooded the markets and people are dying still and you're like, oh, okay, this is just a cycle. It's never ending. So maybe I'm not going to watch it right now. Right. That being said, I'm sure it's good. And then I did try to watch Terminator Genesis, which is also on Netflix, and I got maybe 40 minutes in before I had to turn it off. It's fucking trash. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen. I don't know why any of these actors, like, put their name on it. Uh, what's her name? Daenerys from Game of Thrones. Uh, she plays Sarah Connor, and she's just so bad, and it's sad because I love her. She's so cute and everything. And like good and everything she does, except for this, it's just not her role. It wasn't her role to take. I think maybe they were like, oh, she plays this dragon queen. She can be Sarah Connor. No. Yeah. Better Sarah Connor was Queen Cersei, though. 
who also played yeah. Sarah Connor in um, the Sarah sci-fi Connor. series. Yeah, which was actually good. She was a badass Sarah Connor, but it's not her Sarah Connor. So it was terrible. I don't recommend seeing it. I would erase it. Uh, if I could erase it from my memory, uh, I would because I hated it that much. Or at least like put a warning in my brain that was like, do not attempt to watch this ever again. It's really bad. Um, yeah, but that's all the shit that I've watched. Literal shit. Some some of it, but you know. Um. So Boogeyman. Uh, just yes. a quick story. Um, mm-hmm. I went to, there's a convention in LA called Midsummer Scream. Yeah. I think it's, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, and I could be, uh, very easily, uh, it's, it was started as a convention for haunts. Um, and then it kind of just branched out into like a bigger, like, uh, more like a horror general thing with like a little bit more of a focus on haunts. Haunts being like haunted houses at universe, you know, like shit like that, right? Mm-hmm. So they had a, a boogeyman interactive experience that I participated in. It was me and our friend Diego and, and a, a friend of ours named Mario. And we went and it was like basically the experience was it was kind of like a three minute escape room where two people, usually you're supposed to do it like one on one, like one person, you know, you know, two people. But we had three in our group. So they, they accommodated, I guess. One person goes in two people go into a, a bedroom that's that's all dark and one person goes into a control room watching something on a camera and is trying to like guide us like watching this like through this night vision camera <laughs> and trying to help us find these clues and everything like that what i learned you were saying how you would survive you know zombie apocalypse i think i'm like I, whenever i do an escape room i'm always the one if like if you're like oh if you have to crawl through this like tunnel you have to go through this thing i'm always like i want to do it i want to be the first person to do it the one thing where i draw a line at is where apparently is where like um you know diego's like uh he's on the he's on a speaker going like look under the bed and there's a there's an actress in the room going like the boogeyman's under the bed so i'm like Mario, look under the bed. And he's like, uh, and I'm like, just fucking do it, man. Like, just look under the bed. I'm not doing it. You do it. And then when we, of course, we lost, I was like, dude, why didn't you look under the bed? All the clues were under the bed. Um, so uh, that's what I learned. I'm, I'm, I'm really good at telling people that, you know, to do the <laughs> um, but I do the lady at the line was like, have you seen the boogeyman? I was like, no. And she's like, well, you'll have fun anyway. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I will. Um, I, um, I saw op. I saw. I, I last time we'd spoken, I'd already seen Bar- uh, Barbie. I saw. Um, oh, I saw that too. I totally forgot. Uh, probably because I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, you're like the outlier. You're the one person. Some parts. Not, like- okay, some parts weren't bad. Like they were funny. Obviously, like Brian Gosling did steal the show. I feel like he was yeah. funny as fuck. Uh, his songs are great. I ch- I got a chuckle, but is it a masterpiece? It's getting an IMAX release. Like, why? It's like absurd. I hate it. I just don't. I feel like it's performative. It's performative theater, is what it is. And get this fucking out of my face. I liked it. I thought it was, I, especially for a movie called Barbie. I thought it was pretty fantastic. Um, but I did see Oppenheimer. Okay. Um, Your which, thoughts? I liked it. I mean, I actually I probably liked it more than I've liked other Christopher Nolan movies. But then I realized when I was watching, I'm like, I'm not a big Christopher Nolan fan. Like, I don't worship at the altar of Nolan and. I thought Killian Murphy was amazing. It just bums me out that some of the more interesting things going on in Oppenheimer's life, they just kind of like talked about real quickly. And I was like, no, no I want to see that. I want to see that about, I want to see that. I want to dive more into this whole thing about Oppenheimer, like this aspect of Oppenheimer than what we saw. I thought Killian Murphy was great. I actually thought everybody was great. Um, once again, I don't think Christopher Nolan knows how to work with women um, at all. 
uh, or right for them at all. Also, I feel like that movie could have been 20 to 30 minutes shorter. And I thought that was all I was watching it. And I was enjoying it. But I was like, yeah, I could trim some of this. And then when I saw the credits where it was like written, produced, and directed by Christopher Nolan, I was like, ah, that's what, that's why. Because I imagine Christopher Nolan like handed out a script to people. Like, what do you guys think? And they're like, well, you know, you could probably lose like 20 or 30 minutes. Like, nope. Every 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 page is gold. Um, so uh, you know, I, I liked it. Um, I just there was parts of it that I wish we had dived more into. There's parts that I I, I thought were amazing. Um, and I, I I think I find that story inherently is fascinating. Like, I mean, Nolan wasn't the first person who wanted to do a film about Oppenheimer. I'd, I'd heard you know heard stories about people wanting to make movies about Oppenheimer. I'm glad that Nolan was the one who did it because I prefer Nolan over Me- Sam Mendes any day. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I enjoyed it, and then um, I rewatched a few things. I I rewatched Sleepaway Camp because it was summer and it was hot, and I was like, I just want to watch a fucking summer movie. And it was either that or Meatballs, and I was like, I'm just gonna put on Sleepaway Camp. And then my wife and I. Um, over the weekend, Hollywood Forever Cemetery does, you know, you, you remember from when living here, um, Cinespia, they do um, movies in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. So yeah. um, this weekend was Poltergeist. And I was oh. like, ah, you know, I was like, I really feel like I need to see this in, the, in a cemetery. Um, and it's great, you know. Uh, it, you know, it's it's always fun. There was, a, granted, there was annoying people that, you know, I, I guess because they're outside, they're like, oh, I can just talk shit during the movie. I'm like, fuck off, you know, but whatever. For the most part, like the movie got like a lot of the reactions people got, like, you know, that people gave for certain scenes reminds me of why I love going to see, even if I've, even if I own the movie at home, why I love going to see some movies in the theater, because sometimes you're like, oh, I'm not the only person in the world who thinks that particular nuanced bit is funny or of like or you know this reaction is funny or whatever and the crowd you know when you hear people laughing at the same things that you think are funny or or freaking out the same things you think are freaky like you know it's it's always a really it's a positive experience but that that kick-started our halloween season um we're going to be going to universal Mm -hmm. in two weeks we're going to be going to a few other haunted houses we got a whole list of movies we're going to watch together is there a theme at universal this year you know uh, well, yeah, they do them every year, and like I, I'm a, I, I'm not gonna lie, like I'm a little let down by, um, the choices of this, this year. They're they're doing The Exorcist Believer, which, uh, by the way, um, I, I the trailer for it, I I must be uh, one of the few horror fans who was saying this, but I'm like that looks fucking terrible. That like that looks like a yeah. bad. Movie. I still think it looks bad, but now I'm like, I'm going to see it anyway. Of course I'm going to see it. I I said that right. Like we saw it during Oppenheimer and and, uh, my wife and I I leaned over and I was like, she's like, that looks really bad. I was like, I know. And I'm going to go see it anyway. Like that's the worst part is like, they already have my money. Like, and, uh, but anyway, uh, they're doing a haunted house for that, which would, wouldn't be as bad if they hadn't been doing the exorcist a few times already yet. And the first time they did the exorcist, I was like, how are they going to pull this off? And they like it was the one of the best haunted houses I've ever been in. Every room, aside from the opening, when you first walk in, you see the stairs and you see the spider walk and the Ouija board's going crazy. The rest of the haunted houses, you're just walking into the same room over and over again. Like they just redid the room multiple times, but just different things going on in the room. So it was very disorienting and very like kind of creepy. I really dug it. Um, so I'm like, oh, they're doing another exorcist house. Like they've been there, done that, you know, yeah. um, doing Stranger Things, which I don't care about. Cause even though I, I, I do like Stranger I Things, 
Wait, you ha- did you still watch the last part? Mm-hmm. Did you watch yeah, I did. And I felt like it could have been cut in half, but I actually, I, it's funny because people were like, Boo. oh my God. <laughs> no, I, I liked it. I did. But I'm just saying there's like all the shit in, Ru- I mean, we talked about this, but all the shit in Russia, I'm just like, we could get this yeah. story wrapped up way sooner. Um, the whole, like, we're on a road trip to go meet up with everybody. That could have gotten wrapped up sooner. Um, I will say that everybody was like, oh, you got to watch this. It's very got a very Nightmare on Elm Street-esque vibe to it, aside from Robert England having the cameo. But I was like, no, actually, this feels like Dracula. Which, and I mean that in a compliment. Like, it feels like the book Dracula. Um, oh, that's something else. I, I totally forgot that I went to the movies and saw that is not Dracula. Yes, which was not great. But not terrible. I feel like it could have been better. Like, the vampire was very, like, Nosferatu-looking, you know? And he was a bat the whole time. And, well, mostly. And then, I can't remember her name, and I forgot to look it up. I'm sorry. But she was in The Nightingale, which The Nightingale is so good and so fucked. Mm -hmm. And she's in this movie, and I do feel like she deserves better than (laughs) what this movie gave her. Uh, Unfortunately. But um, I have mixed feelings. I, I don't want to see it because I had, I mean, I feel like it's not this, I mean, I'm sure millions of people have had this, but I always wanted to do that movie of like that story, like that part of the book. Um, but I had a completely different idea for it. Like I wanted mine, like when I read the director was like, I wanted to make alien on a boat. And I was like, Oh, I wanted to make Werner Herzog's Nosferatu on a boat. Like have it yeah. seem slow, like more like meditative, you know, more like, um, uh, whatever existential you know um but uh so i watched poltergeist oh yeah we're talking about universal so universal they're doing the exorcist they're doing um last of us stranger things and then they're doing yeah and that's the thing is like it's again it's my not it's not stranger things that i have a problem with it's like they keep doing the same haunted houses on the flip side that's the house that all the kids want to go to so good send them over there i want (laughs) to I want to go to see, I want to see the Evil Dead. They're doing Evil Dead Rise, which I'm like, that could be a lot of fun. That could be fun. The Chucky one, I think, is going to be great because a lot of people don't realize that when I, when, you know, in Universal used to have a house, a haunted house there that was all year round. It wasn't just, you know, Universal Halloween Horror Nights. It was all year round. It was Universal Monsters one. And it was where the Walking Dead one is now. And it was so much fun. Like, I would go in the day because I had a season pass when I first moved out here because, some weird everyone movie. does yeah yeah well you buy a ticket and they're like you got a season pass now and i'm like I, i'll i'll i can live with that uh, so i would go because it was like only a few stops away from where i lived i'd go and go to the universal house hang out you know do a few other things get some food you know walk, walk around but it was the always the universal house i always loved and they always had like they always incorporate chucky in it so they're doing a chucky house which i think is gonna be really cool and then they're doing a Universal Monsters one, but they're not doing like Dracula, the Frankenstein, and the Wolfman, because they've done that. They're doing the Invisible Man, the Phantom of the Opera, and then I want to say the Hunchback oh. of Notre Dame, which is not even a, a Universal monster. Yeah, that's I can't, weird. You know, I mean, I think, I mean, I know Lon Chaney played him, but I can't remember if it was for Universal. Anyway, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, and regardless, like you know, it's Halloween season. I'm I'm there. Um, I I watched one episode of. Midnight Mass, because I said I was going to do that at some point. Yeah. And I liked it. I wish I hadn't watched it late at night um, because <laughs> because I was just so tired. You know, it was like, I was like, it because that first episode is a lot of buildup. It's a lot of like yeah. world building. And I liked it. And it's funny because there's, you know, on his, there's a shelf 
at one point you get a shot of something, you see a Stephen King book. And I'm like, yeah, that's what this feels like. It feels like the first three chapters of a Stephen King novel. I wonder which Stephen King book that is specifically because it does, it, there was something about it. And maybe because I know what the, the major thing of the, the series is going to be, but it's like, I wonder if that book is Salem's lot, because this kind of feels like the setup to Salem's yes, lot. Similar ish, um, you know, guy, you know, comes back to town after being away for a while, whatever. And like, you know, everybody kind of has their secrets in town and then, the you know, a vampire show. That's what it felt like. And if that's the case, I'm not upset about it. I'm just, I haven't picked it back up because I just haven't picked it back up. But I will because I, I, um, I feel like I'm going to end up really liking a lot of the first, the next few episodes. And then I'm going to hate the last episode because that's, that's how I feel about Flanagan. In that's general. how exactly how I felt about it. I was like, this is great until the end. And I'm like, why does he always fumble this? He always fumbles it. Because he's really trying to emulate Stephen King, who does the same thing, who like yeah. a lot of times shits the bed on the ending. And then um, I, you know, <laughs> what do we do in the shadows? Um, and that was pretty much it. And then, you know, so now I think we can kind of talk about um, this movie. Our poor, this poor, way. our poor, poor King, William Freakin. Mm-hmm. Has also just made some weird shit. <laughs> he had a bad streak. In fact, I I can get I can probably tell you when that when the, I can tell you the first movie that streak that bad streak started. Um, but, not uh, cruising. No, not cruising. Not yeah. to live and die in L.A. Rampage is good. Um, hint, hint, hint. Um, <laughs> I I wanted. I'm going to preface before I say what movie this is. I wanted this. I wanted this because I remember as a kid. I always got these two things confused. There was a Friday Thirteenth the series episode that dealt with some very similar things, and there was this movie. And somehow I saw them kind of at the same time, and on TV, and they really freaked me out. Mm-hmm. Um, so the movie we did was The Guardian, which was t- touted as William Freakin's return to horror after The Exorcist. Oh the Exorcist. no! <laughs> so, now imagine now this, this isn't how I was exposed to it because I was a kid. But imagine being our age now and hearing like, oh, this is William Freakin's first horror film since The Exorcist and going to see The Guardian. Dude, um, I would be, the, yeah, I would be pressed. Yeah. Um, it, uh, the, the brief summary, and I'm going to do my best because it is so fucking ludicrous. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, evil Nanny worships trees. She's a druid. She worships trees and sacrifices kids to trees and she's kind of a tree herself and she moves into a new house and uh, ingratiates herself inside the with the family and stuff like that and you obviously know that she's going to sacrifice this little child at a certain point and so you're just waiting for the fucking parents the dumb as fuck parents to figure something out and stop her from turning into a tree or sacrificing to, uh, the baby to a tree that is the plot to the guardian I'm, I'm, unless I'm missing something yeah. No, uh, yeah, it's like baby tree sacrifice. And I don't, I've never seen The Guardian, so this is my first time watching it. And I was, like, really confused. I was, like, you know, the headline is, like, every parent's worst nightmare. And I was, like, isn't it every parent's worst nightmare or fear that a evil tree is going to eat their baby's soul? Like, I don't know. I guess so. Um but I like the idea of a movie about evil trees because there are evil trees throughout horror, especially um, evil tree from Poltergeist, which we you just oh. talked about. Very scary. Yeah. Like there are trees that you see, you're like, that's a that's an evil fucking tree, or like 
trees that were gods at one point you know think of like which i think is what the movie was trying to like beings yeah. you know like lord of the rings or like sure. sleepy hollow is a famous kind of tree horror movie uh yeah, story yeah, the... etc but yeah, yeah. uh it is ridiculous this is a ridiculous movie <laughs> yeah it's pretty bad you um, and you saw this as a kid or no i did i okay so i saw this and i saw like there's a, like i said there was a friday 13th episode called um tree of life which was about like these uh, uh what do you what do you call those women who get hired to help with the, the there's a word for it and i don't know why i'm drawing a blank you you know they they help deliver the babies um, oh uh ma- yes. wet nurse not some fuck some, i can't whatever yeah. sure and like they basically run like a, you know and they're like they promise like these prospective you know these these pregnant families like you will have like a you know a twin or you'll have a this or you'll have a you'll have a healthy baby um but you know really they're also druids that were sacrificing you know i think the husbands to the trees and then like the tree blossoms like and then it's like a little figurine of like or a, a little version of the the father kind of like how like which i actually thought this was a pretty cool mo- thing in in the guardian how the tree like the baby's face will become like part of the tree you know or <laughs> I liked that. I thought like there were some effects in this movie that I was like, that's actually not bad. And there were some effects in this movie. Where I'm like, that is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah. It's, it's funny. I mean, the first part is cool because like, you know, it sets it up that like this family trusts this nanny. They're called midwives. Uh, this this family trusts, trusts this nanny, you know, they're really close. And then, you know, one night the baby just goes missing. That is very scary. Especially back when you couldn't do like background background checks on people and stuff like that, but uh, she takes the baby into the woods and like she's wearing a cool costume and the tree looks terrifying and then the tree absorbs the baby's face and it's like uh, imagine seeing because like sometimes you can see stuff in the woods but like imagine seeing a tree that looks like it has baby faces all over it like terrifying I'd be terrified. Uh, and I was like, okay, like this could be really cool. And then it just is like really weird. It's, it's, some, it's you know what I, I mean? I, I almost feel like I realized the problem immediately. Like um, when the movie started getting a little ridiculous and I was like, you know, why is this, why did the guy who made the exorcist, why is this not working? And I was like, oh, because when he made the exorcist, he wasn't making it as a horror film. Yeah. You know, he said that. He said that a million times. He's like, I was trying to make a, a movie about faith and about good and evil. It just happens to have horror elements to it, but he's the way he directed it. Like there's no jump scares. There's like, well, there's a kind of a, a fake out in exorcist, the original one where Ellen Burson's up in the attic with the, the candle and it burnt in the flame burst for a second. And it's a big jump scare. That's the only thing that happens in the movie that it was what you would consider a traditional horror movie trope. Whereas this movie is riddled with tropes, like unbelievably. Yeah. Um, and like, uh, here's a perfect example. Uh, the nanny is with the baby. She's like, she's out by the, you know, I guess by the tree. She's in the woods with the baby, <laughs> just hanging out. And these three random thugs just show up, <laughs> and they're cartoonishly bad. We haven't established them before. We haven't like, she hasn't. Nobody's driven by these guys. These guys, you haven't seen these guys harass anybody. They just show up in the woods when she happens to be there, and immediately they're like, "We're gonna kill you." Or we're gonna rape you. We're gonna kill the baby and kill you, and you know that's what their that's their whole motivation. And then you know she basically makes the tree fuck them up. And that part was actually pretty cool. It's like okay, Dude, it is cool. This, the tree yeah. fucking these three guys up is cool, but why were they there? You know, 
they were yeah. just there to be there. It was very strange. I mean, I I know that like what year was this? Nineteen ninety. Yeah. Um, like late eighties LA was like sort of dangerous, <laughs> but sure. I know, but, like, like, in, like in, the, in broad in, daylight in the park, in the woods of they, LA. Yeah, um, look like what are the like cruisers? You know, like he had a leather jacket and like slick back hair, and he's like, yeah, he looked like generic. He, I mean, he's I, like, I, we're I, gonna I, get you. Yeah, like I would be, generic thugs. I would be interested in seeing the script and seeing if they were just called generic thug one, generic thug two, because that's what they were. Um. I think the other thing that I, I thought was weird about this movie that like, I'm like, why didn't you guys do this? Is that like, so at one point when, you know, the, out of the two parents that figure out that, or start to, you know, really suspect that this nanny is, you know, bad news, it's the husband. And I'm like, so then why did you set up this weird thing where he's like attracted to her and she's like, tr- like kind of sort of seducing him. Like he has a dream where he has sex with her. He's, he's like, watching her take a bath with the baby which i was like that's fucking weird like so if i walked in and my babysitter not that i have a kid was taking a <laughs> bath with my when my child i'd be like can you not do that and like i yeah. feel like i'd feel that way in 1990 but like so they set up this whole thing where he's like kind of attracted to her and yet it's him the one that's kind of like oh no she's bad news where i'm like wouldn't it have made sense if it was the mother who was like this nanny's bad news and he's kind of like I don't know. I kind of like her. You know, that to me would have been like more. Yeah, but I feel like that's also a trope. And maybe like because you have a ton of movies like that. I mean, a few years later, Hannah Rocks the Cradle came out, which I, is like. I wrote that down. Pretty, I was like. Pretty sick. Uh, but. Good nanny movie. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe like freaking thought like, you know, men can do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, men know funny. better, you know, sometimes. I, a few years ago, I'd say maybe almost a decade ago, I listened to the audible book of Freakin's um, autobiography, which he read. And he go, he goes really in-depth in The Exorcist, which is great. French Connection, awesome. You know, he's like, really, it's a fascinating thing. I recommend to anybody either read it or listen to him read it because it's funny listening to him read it. But um, the move, one of the movies that he does, he mentions not, not a word of is The Guardian. And I read about how, like, Originally, this was based on a novel called The Nanny, which came out a few yeah. years before that. And then the screenwriter, uh, Stephen Volk, who he also wrote Gothic, which I really like. Gothic is a Ken Russell film. Then again, when I watch that movie, I'm not really watching it for the, the dynamite writing. I'm watching it for like the crazy Ken Russell-isms mm-hmm. of that movie. He also wrote a movie called The Kiss which was very similar, like uh, a woman, like a girl's aunt comes to like comes to stay with them and she's obviously evil. It's like kind of a very similar thing of like the outsider coming into your home and fucking things up. So very similar movie, but apparently like they wanted to make a movie about an evil nanny and then freaking heard about druids and trees and whatever. <laughs> and he wanted that in there. So all these different, like it just seemed like there were so many different things that were kind of getting thrown into this movie that I think started off as like an evil nanny, but kind of like a hand the rocks the cradle. In fact, I'll tell that story in a second. Um, the lead actress, Jenny Seagrove, who plays the nanny, she, she apparently she'd went to Universal was like, I want, I, I think that you should, this should just be an evil nanny movie. Like, and they're like, no, no, no. It needs to be supernatural. It needs to be this. She's like, no, I don't think it needs that, any of that. And they're like, no, no, it totally does. <laughs> and the movie comes out and bombs. Two years later, Hand the Rock's Cradle comes out and is a success. And she calls yeah. up her friend at Universal and he just answers the phone and says, don't start. You're right. Don't even like, That's don't funny. even get into it. Um, but the Stephen Volk, the screenwriter, apparently had a nervous breakdown. So William Freakin had to step in and write some of the movie. And I feel like Freakin, not the greatest screenwriter, great director. I think a fantastic director in his heyday. Um, 
but this movie just kind of suffers from all these like weird decisions that are made that I'm like, why are you going here? And there's one of also, my... I was gonna say, there's also like really weird camera angles for like when you know, and his name is Dwight Dwyer Brown, and it's funny because I kind of he looks so familiar and he's in kind of everything. But there's this like weird shot where he's like talking to her and like you could see her hair, but the camera's so focused on him. It's like very strange. I was like, why are they doing this for this shot? (laughs) Like, what is going on here? It felt like, I think, and this is just my theory because nobody's really, he's never really talked to, he didn't talk about it in his book or anything, but it's like, I think he thought, oh, if I make a horror movie, it's going to be a fucking success because I did The Exorcist. And instead he made this like, I mean, supposedly Sam Raimi was supposed to direct it, but then he left to do Darkman, and then William Freakin stepped in. I think Freakin was kind of like, I'm going to phone this one in because it's going to be a hit because I did The Exorcist, and I don't think that was what happened. But what I don't understand, and this baffled me to no end, was that you've got two really awesome actors in Miguel Ferrer, who's in it very a small role, and Xander Berkeley. Xander Berkeley, who I think actually showed up in The Walking Dead later on. I don't know, maybe later seasons. Xander Berkeley is the detective at the end of the movie who is also Virginia Madsen's husband in Candyman. Uh-huh. These are two great actors. Why do you have them playing smaller parts? Like, one of those two could have played the husband. One of the other one could have played the weird, <laughs> the weird architect landlord friend that they have, like the guy who built their house, who just shows up and has a thing for the fucking um, the nanny, and then like sees her like having a weird like, you know. That part was re- interesting. I was like, oh, a tree is like tenderly like fixing yeah. his druid human yeah. tree person. Like, uh, it's very, it's kind of sexy, you know, like. Yeah. I, and like, but like, either one of those actors could have played that guy's part. And then the the, the thing that sucks about that part, and I couldn't help it. It's an, it's a very L.A. snobbish thing that drove me nuts. Is there's a part where like, you know, he's being chased by these wolves, and he goes home, and he he he's frantically calls the police. He's like, "There's coyotes in my yard," and they're like, "That's impossible." I'm like, I during yeah. 2020, my wife and I went for walks every night around our neighborhood, and there was not a single time that we didn't see a pack of coyotes wandering around. It's very it's very common in L.A. Yeah, in, in, especially in parts that are near the woods or near the trees or near Griffith Park, you're gonna fucking see coyotes. So of her being like, "Oh, sir, that's impossible." I'm like, "Okay, they did they they nailed the they perfectly nailed the shitty inadequacy of LAPD, but it was just so ludicrous by being like, ah, you know, there's that's impossible. Sorry, sir, you're crazy. There's no coyotes in your yard. I'm like, that could have been solved a lot quicker. Um, <laughs> but so it was just it was like some of these weird decisions that he was making, and like there are some good moments that are creepy, like that. I, like I actually really like. There's the part where like, you know, the husband he takes a chainsaw and he's going off to the woods, and the mom, who's just like, well, the husband's taking care of the, you know, he's gonna go take a chainsaw to the trees. I hit this woman and now she's disappeared. I think it's safe to be in the house by myself with our child. Um, she's with the, she's by herself with the yeah, child. Yeah, she hit the woman with her car into the tree. <laughs> into the tree. And then the detectives later on, the detective later on was like, yeah, we didn't we find didn't a find body. body. Yeah, it's like, so she's like, so It's that whole, like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I wouldn't want to be alone. Even if I was the husband walking with the chainsaw, I'd be like, hey, I want someone to come with me because I'm freaked out. Like I've just got, I just saw a woman flying at me like last night and now I'm going to go cut down her weird, you know, tree. I don't want to be by myself. It's like that, that kind of mentality where I'm like, what the fuck? But anyway, so, you know, you know, the nanny's in there 
and there's a great beat where she like goes up and she like opens the closet door and of course we know as an audience that she's not going to be in there because whatever but when she turns around she sees the the nanny and she's all like kind of woody that's the best way i can describe it it's actually kind of a creepy moment you know like um it just it was really weird because like i just felt like freaking didn't really care about this movie when he was making it because he's he's doing he's making a movie that like anybody else could have made and actually to be honest i think another director could have made this a lot more fun like when you know, when i read that sam raimi was going to do it they were going to go for a more tongue-in-cheek take yeah on, of course know, and that's like i could see that i can i could totally understand that freaking on the other hand like this is a guy who, who fucking made the exorcist this guy who made like sorcerer the guy who made to live and die like to make cruising it's like a guy who, who who put so much energy into these movies where was that in the guardian you know like yeah it was really strange. I do feel like he called it in, which is kind of sad because, like, I wanted to like it, but – and I do for parts, but I feel like it's more ridiculous than anything else. Um, the There's a good scene where <laughs> uh, the dad makes a root beer float. I was like, oh, yeah, hell yeah, brother, nice A&W, like, root beer float, and, like, that's the scene, and I was like, unnecessary, yeah. but okay. Sure. <laughs> Um, it's like there's um you know it's like I, I think about like William Freakin directing To Live and Die in L.A. as you mentioned there's like a great I, there's a if, if you can ever dig up the DVD the old DVD or the or the Blu-ray there's a great special feature of like Freakin being interviewed about making To Live and Die in L.A. And he he talks about all these like crazy things that he did in the movie like um you know there's a scene where in, in To Live and Die in L.A. where William Peterson is chasing John Turturro through the L, through LAX yeah. and he just jumps in the middle of that whole thing and they were like you know, LAX was immediately like, nope, you can't fucking do that. And he's like, oh, man. And William Pearson's like, Bill, we got to do this. He's like, it makes the scene. He's like, oh, I know. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, we're going to roll camera. You're going to do it anyway. And then when they freak out, say, oh, we were just rehearsing and you didn't hear the note. And so that, you know, like, so he, yeah. like, he had to do it anyway. And then there's a, there's also like the, the cinematographer on To Live and Die in LA is this great cinematographer. It was actually the first cinematographer I ever fell in love with. Like I had been watching, I would watch these movies and go, man, I love the way these movies look. And then I found out that they were all the same DP. It was Robbie Mueller, who also did Down by Law, Paris, Texas, Repo Man, some mm-hmm. of my favorite movies. And Robbie Mueller, like, basically frequent was like, lock the camera here. This is where I want the shot to be. And he's like, what about the blocking? He's like, no, we're not going to do any blocking. And and Robbie Mueller's like, well, how are the actors going to know to be in frame? And he's like, that's on them. They're actors. If they want to be on the camera, they're going to know where they're going to, they're going to figure out pretty quickly where the camera is. And it's like, but it was like kind of like this cool, like badass, like kind of almost like guerrilla filmmaking that he was doing on to live and die in LA. Yeah. And I'm like, where was that filmmaker making the guardian? Like, it was just kind of like, it just felt like he was kind of, you know, just. Yeah. Like, I don't know if he was bored or what there's like, and right during the scene um, where he has the dream about, you know, like the weird, like having sex with his wife and then it turns into the nanny, like, which I get is probably like a weird horny fear dream, but the way the actor pretends to fall asleep, I was like, what the fuck? Like, it looks so fake. And like, I feel bad because this guy is not a good actor. Like, he's in a ton of stuff. I definitely recognize him. But, like, this is not his best movie either. And I was like, did no one care about this? Or were they just like, whatever? Like, I I honestly wonder. And it makes me, like, curious even more that he didn't give any interviews about it. Or, like, 
even in his autobiography he doesn't mention it i mean yeah it's weird he, there's it's, it's that movie and deal of the century the one he did with chevy chase and sigourney weaver and gregory hines which i know was a flop and i know it was because he had a I mean, it's funny because freaking you know had a lot more flops than he had hits it's just the ones that he had that were hits were like fucking they were hits you know like yeah um and a lot of that or like cult like, hits you know like cruising wasn't really a hit sure. but like in the 70s like directors were the draw of like that's how movies were marketed it was like when when you went to go see sorcerer you didn't go see sorcerer because it was starring roy scheider from jaws it was you're going to see sorcerer because it was directed by the director of french connection and the exorcist when yeah. you went to go see new york new york even though it had De Niro and Liza Minnelli, the big thing was like, oh, it's a film by Martin Scorsese. And like, so the directors had a lot of control in the 70s. And then those same directors kind of blew it. Like Sorcerer was a flop. It's a great, it's an amazing movie. And again, I think everybody should watch that movie because it's fucking breathtaking. I saw, when I saw that in the theater with The Exorcist, there was a, I had already seen it before, but there was a woman a few seats away from me who I'd never seen before. And she was like white knuckling her fucking, the seat in front of her and it's not a horror film at all yeah. it's like, and that was one of the reasons why the movie kind of flopped because people were like what is this fucking movie you know but um and it, as far as marketing goes but and also the other reason why it was a flop is because it opened alongside star wars and that you know blew everything out of the water but you know how much money was spent on sorcerer it was like so much money was spent on sorcerer so much money was spent on on new york new york so much money was spent on heaven's gate in 1980 which was kind of like the death knell for like the directors having complete control because the studios are like, you know what, you guys are, we're spending all this money on you guys and you guys, and we're giving you guys all this control and you guys are fucking up. And, <laughs> and those movies are great. Like Heaven's Gate, like the, the director's cut is amazing, but it, it's, it, it was weird. Cause like I said, the seventies, it was, the, it was all about the directors. And, and, you know, I think freaking really thrived in that when he made French connection, he just, he could break a lot of rules. He can, he could do a lot. I mean, he was, he, it was amazing. And then I think in the nineties, it was because then you have the guardian, you have yeah. blue chips. Um, then in the two thousands, he did a movie with Tommy Lee Jones and Benicio del Toro. I want to say the hunted. I can't remember. Oh yeah. 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 I was like, Oh, it's Rambo. He's remaking Rambo, but it's just not called Rambo. You know, Tommy Lee Jones is, is going to, to basically talk one of his old guys off a ledge who's gone kind of berserk in the woods and everything like that. That's fucking Rambo you know, uh, or first blood. It's like, he just kind of like, I heard, I, I, I've only seen it once, but if I remember correctly, bug is amazing with Michael Shannon. Bug is, it's, I, I thought about rewatching it. I, I saw it, you know, years ago when it first came out, which I think, you know, 10, no, what? 2006. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> a while ago. It is. It's very scary, but I also live in the South and I deal with enough real life bugs that I feel like it's going to make me super paranoid. So I decided not to rewatch it. But Killer Joe is fucking yeah. sick. Have you you've seen Killer Joe? I have not, but I, I remember that when people were like, there was there was that bug it's, and Killer Joe were two movies. People were like, oh, this is a return to form for freaking. Well, Killer Joe is really interesting too because it also brought McConaughey kind of back to horror, where he plays like a complete maniac. And there's yeah. and everyone who's seen it, we always talk about the chicken scene, the chicken wing scene, or yeah. uh, the drumstick scene. It's it's a uh, it's a scene, you know, and even thinking about it now, I'm like, dang, like Gershon really like gave it like, she's also one of my favorite, you know, kind of B actresses, showgirls will forever live in my hearts. But Killer Joe is sick as fuck. And it has like a good cast. Emil yeah. Hirsch, you know, he's also a psychopath in real life, I guess. But like, I've always kind of liked him as a, 
as an actor but uh yeah unfortunately that's like one of the last movies he did he did i think he did another one didn't he or no that i don't remember um there is a great documentary about him that i watched during the pandemic my wife and i did this film festival because there was a pandemic there was no film festivals like where you could go to they like a bunch of film festivals combined and they did like virtual film festivals so we 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 watched we picked a block and we watched uh, a movie there was a documentary i think it's on shutter now um about the making of the exorcist and uh freaking is fucking he's you know, they, you know it's the whole thing is just an interview with freaking talking about making the exorcist and just so many like i look freaking as as awesome as he was he also said some things that broke my heart when i saw him live. i okay i remember us talking about this because i think about that yeah. all the time about what he, he said was- about the exorcist now where he was like, you know, because, you know, when they meet, when, you know, in the scenes where they're in Reagan's bedroom and you can see their breath, they refrigerated the fucking room. Like they made that room fucking cold, which was hell for Linda Blair, you know, poor girl. But like, I mean, like those actors are like half of them are like they're half acting and the other half are just reacting to the environment that he's created for them. And, you know, and I, and I think that that's part of the reason why that those performances are so believable. They're so genuine. And he was like in this when I saw him do spoke when I saw him do the Q and A. He was like, "Yeah, if I made the extras now, we would just do CGI for all that stuff." And I was like, "Oh my fucking god!" Yeah, was like you like there's some things I wish I, I'm glad that freaking stopped doing. Like you know, again, The Exorcist when when Father O'Malley was playing, um, God, I can't remember who's he's playing the other priest. Um, is giving the last rites to Damien Karras and he's crying and he's trembling. He just couldn't nail it. So freaking walked up to him and was like, Hey, do you trust me? And he's like, of course I do Billy and freaking haul back and just let him have it right in the face. And then, and then he's like, what the fuck? And he's like, roll camera. And it's like, okay, that I don't glad that we don't, you know, freaking stop doing because I don't think you need to fucking, you know, do that to your actors, but <laughs> like, or, or Ellen Burson, when, when Reagan smacks her in the face and she, she falls back and she like smashes back and she's screaming, she was in legit pain. What they, what we, what was edited out of that is Ellen Burson yelling to get the camera out of her fucking face, you know? Yeah. Because Reagan was just like, no, no, keep filming. And it's like, yeah. Oh, oh, because like they were like, when, like, when they pulled her back, you know, the first time they did it, she was like, you know, I, I really, don't want you to pull back that hard because that I almost got really hurt there. And the guy who was, you know, doing the pulling was like, Oh, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. You know, and whatever. And then she says that right before the rolls camera, she sees off to the side, she sees freaking looking at the guy and mouthing something to him. And what, what apparently the guy was like, yeah, what, what freaking mouth was like, let her have it. And it's like that type of shit doesn't, isn't cool, but like, you know, I want to see like that crazy freaking who's like, Oh, we're going to build a giant bridge and sorcerer or like a weird like wooden bridge and actually shoot the scene as it, you know, as you see it in the movie. And it's like, God damn, like the crazy, like the type of like crazy decisions that guy would make. You don't see in the guardian. You just see him. Being like, <laughs> yeah. You, you see none of line. that in the guardian. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I didn't hate it, but it is like, I can't imagine the disappointment of seeing this. Like, like you said, like if we were a little bit older back then and we were like, this is the dude that did the exorcist and then watching yeah. it and be like, what the fuck is this? Who gave this man money? Like, <laughs> exactly. So, um, I mean, look, you can see it. It's, um, somebody uploaded on YouTube. There's also shout factory did a Blu-ray of it. I think there's interviews with people who 
are not freaking on there. I don't even think there's like, I think there is a copy that exists in the world that people say it's really hard to find of a DVD of that movie that has freaking doing commentary. I would fucking love to listen to that. I, I would, would too. To um, so if I can ever dig that up in some way, we're going to have to like revisit the guardian, maybe another episode where we just talk about freaking like maybe a year from now when, you know, we're, we're celebrating the anniversary of his passing. Like, we'll. um, we will we'll, we'll, we'll if I can find, find a copy of, yeah because <laughs> we'll I want to hear what the fuck he was trying to do here yeah I just want to hear if he actually talks about the movie or if he's just giving like you know I don't I, who knows you know but um it, it's it's a pretty crazy movie I think it's worth watching in the sense of like you know here's this great director here's one of his lesser works you know because sometimes you get those directors whose worst movie is still better than other people's best absolutely movie. yeah i think scorsese's one of them you know like i did not care for shutter island but i also said you know what shutter island as much as i didn't care for it is still better than like most people's best so yeah um you know uh, it'd be interesting it's interesting to watch guardian as like a as like a hmm how does this how does his lesser work stack up but uh on the flip side the exorcist um which is funny that you know he passes away like a few months before they're gonna re-release they're gonna release a new exorcist with ellen burston as a direct sequel to his movie i think that's pretty wild um but you know the exorcist you know well the french connection is what broke him you know made him yeah win the oscar for it you know um the exorcist sorcerer which oh god yeah, the movie's just a fucking gift that keeps giving um cruising which uh if, My, it, look, yeah. if you haven't ever seen cruising watch the trailer because if that doesn't hook you in um you're fucking you're brain dead i also um, love then, the story of cruise like there, there's a book obviously there's a story and then there was like a real murderer in new york at that time that was an extra in the exorcist, the exorcist. and he's freaking the went to go like see him in jail and like talk to him and he's like what's up dude like you fucking killing some people and he was like i don't know that's what they said and he freaking <laughs> he's like he's like yeah look bro <laughs> Yeah, it's you so know? weird. But like, yeah, like the scene where he, there were Reagan's in the, she's getting like, it's one of the two scenes where she's getting, she's in the hospital. Yeah, mm -hmm. that guy, I think the younger looking guy is, uh, was a fucking serial killer who inspired cruising. So, yeah, you know, pretty wild. And all that stuff, again, a lot of the stuff he talks about in his book, um, which again, is it, it, such a wonderful read slash listen, whatever way you want to absorb it. Hearing him read it is fucking great. Because it's, you know, I used to drive around. When I drove cross-country, when we worked uh, together and I drove cross-country, I was listening to his book half the time and I was like, God damn, like. I think you know, it's just... funny that he reads it too. So that makes me interested. I kind of want to listen to it now. It's on Audible, guys. Check it out. Um, but anyway, um, you know, to live and die in LA, I, I just, I can't gush about that movie enough. Rampage is great. It's less of a horror movie, more of a courtroom drama that just happens to be inspired by a horrifying story, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, that's a good one. Michael Bean. Can't go wrong with Michael Bean. Um, and I mean that. Even Navy SEALs, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking to it. <laughs> um, but uh, The Guardian is just, is, is um, it's interesting. So Yeah, thing is a good word. If, if you want to watch a movie about tree, killer trees stealing baby souls, then... This is God, see, you describing that was better than the movie, but I digress. <laughs> anyway, um, that well, is RIP. He was a true cowboy, anyway. You know, like, he was, yeah. Like you said, even as his worst, is still better than most 
like best so you know rest in fucking power bro yeah for sure all right guys we'll be back in a few weeks yay bye bye Employment agencies. I thought I'd try this one in Santa Monica. Guardian Angel. These references? Oh, yes. Hi. Come in, Mr. Evidence that the woman you describe ever existed.